Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that, Father, you, through Jesus, have given us everything we need to know. You have revealed yourself in your word clearly. We don't have to wonder what your will is. We don't have to sit and ponder for hours and meditate on what you want. You have laid it out clearly in your word. And I pray that tonight we would see more of your will and we would have the power of the Holy Spirit to submit to what you have revealed. Father, show us ourselves. I pray that tonight's message would be a mirror to our greed uh, and that you would help us to be loosed from greed's power and greed's grip. Only you can do this, Father, by your Spirit. And I ask that tonight would be a means to that great end. May we be transformed more into the image of Jesus for his glory, Father, for your glory, for the Spirit's glory, for our good, and then for the good of all those who we come in contact with. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. So Jesus, after giving us the Lord's Prayer, and after giving us instructions on how to fast, And many of you told me about your fast throughout the week. And that's encouraging. When you respond to a message and you take the challenge that I throw out, um, it's encouraging to me. And so I thank you, all of you who participated in the challenge last week to fast and to ask God to move on you and on the church as a whole. Thank you. And you know the benefits experientially from doing it. Okay, so tonight, Jesus then following instruction on forgiveness and in how to fast and how not to fast. He talks about treasures, treasures, possessions. And really, this is about greed. If we want to like, say, what is this section of the Sermon on the Mount about? This is about greed. And for us as Americans, this is our text. Oh my goodness. What is greed? Greed is the excessive desire for wealth or possessions. Excessive desire for wealth or possessions. I want to talk about greed in three ways, and then I want to talk about how to fight it, how to fight greed. I want to talk about greed being rooted in pride, greed being rooted in what you treasure and its blinding power, what you treasure and its blinding power, and then greed rooted in security. And then... How to break greed's power on us. How to break greed's power on us. Wealth in our American culture is much more than mere money. You know that. It's more than just money. It's more than just having. It's a signal of our significance, isn't it? It's status. It's elevated to a place of this is why I matter because of what I have, what I possess, the numbers in my online banking account. This gives me meaning for us as Americans. Money means more than just having money. It's more than a resource. It's more than a tool. It's it's risen to the level of identity for many of us. Wealth gives us meaning and a place in the world, listen, above or below others. We cannot help but think in terms of economics, I'm above you or you're below me, or you're way above me. We can't help but do that. That's the air we breathe. One man's ceiling is another man's floor. Like, there are places in the world where people don't have running water. You know that, right? They have to go to wells 
and collect water and then take it in jugs to their homes. That means they put buckets on the ground and bathe themselves with the buckets. And we're upset because we have one car. See, for us, wealth is meaning in America. It's not just necessity. It's not a tool to survive. It, it, it gives meaning. Why? Because money can, can give us possessions which then say something about us. Let me give you an example. Okay, let's say you're a woman. You walk into Target and you head over to the bathing suit section and it's January 1st. You know how that works, right, ladies? It's, it's New Year's Day sale on bathing suits because we got to start when it's cold to get you thinking about the beach. Okay, and then you, ladies, you look over and you see a woman in the bathing suit section and she is far more attractive than you. And immediately you start to scowl at her. But then you notice on her arm is a Target purse. You're like a $19 or $20 or $30 purse. But you, you have your $500 designer purse. And so what do you do? You hold it up and you get your Burt's Bee chapstick out of it, making sure she can see it because that makes you more valuable than her because your purse is, well, about $460 more than hers. And though she's better looking than you, you feel better about yourself because you have a more expensive purse. Tell me it's not true. Or how about this, ladies? A woman who's more attractive than you. So I mean, immediately you're starting to feel jealous. But yet you look at her clothing and you recognize the brands and you look at her shoes and you recognize the expense of her shoes and then you start to look at yourself and you realize my clothes are name brand. My shoes cost more than you. And so you then start to size her up but then you look at her and you look at your clothes and you're like, you're not much more valuable than I am. Why? Because of your clothes. And aren't we doing this all the time? Aren't we sizing people up, looking at what they have or how they look, and then we automatically compare ourselves to what they have and we don't? And, or how about you guys? How about, how about you're a man and you just went shoe shopping on eBay and you got for $1,500, you ready for this? The Nike Air Yeezys, the, the first edition, the tan ones. 1500 bucks. So what do you do, guys? You strap those Yeezys on and you go to the mall. Not because you need anything, but because you want to show off the shoes. And so you walk through the mall. You got a little limp. <laughs> and it's not because the shoes are so worn that one of the soles is worn down. You just, feel, you just feel like limping. And what do you do? You go into the shoe stores. Not because you need shoe stores, but because you want people to notice your $1,500 shoes. And so you're looking at all the shoes on all the people, and you're like, yep, I got the most expensive shoes in this. And you immediately ascribe value to yourself over all those people in the room because your shoes are more expensive to them. Tell me it's not true. Or, this could be a male or a female one here, let's say you get a new car, and it's a nice car. It's the nicest car you've ever had. And so you pull up into the parking lot to get ice cream or to go into Walmart to get some food or whatever. And you notice people noticing you getting out of your nice car. And you see what they're driving. And you go, yep. I know mine costs way more than yours. I know it's nicer than yours. And therefore, even subconsciously, this happens in seconds. You ascribe value to yourself and you in your head say, I am more valuable than you because my car's nicer, it's newer, and your car's a piece of trash. 
And so you're a piece of trash compared to me. We do this in a second's flash of consciousness, and we do it all the time. Whether we're in the parking lot, or we're in the mall, or we're at Target, or we're on the internet, we're always comparing ourselves with other people, and we happen to compare ourselves economically often, don't we? Because, listen, in America, you are what you drive. You are what you wear. You are your new shoes. You are the gold around your neck. You are your watch, right? See, wealth is more than just resources for survival and for maybe benefiting others. It's, I'm important because of what I have and what I can buy. Gives me value. Now, for Christians, we know this is ridiculous. However, we as Christians fall into this. Or we were this, and now Jesus is transforming us to not be like this. If you are like this, Jesus is on a mission to change you. Just know that. It's not good, and he is on a mission to change you. Okay. It could be the house you live in. It could be the neighborhood you live in. It could be what's in your house, like the designer towels or the expensive soaps or, I mean, any number of things. Like, hey, you see that stamp on my furniture? That stamp means that costs a lot. That's not a big lots couch right there, bro. Right? And you feel good because people notice what you have because you feel like that makes you more valuable because you own expensive things. It, this is how it works, guys. And so, some of you are saying right now, that's not me, I'm broke. I'm broke, you're not talking to me. But listen... It applies to broke people just as much. Let's flip, let's flip it now. Let's flip it. Okay? You're a woman. You walk into Target. There's a woman in the bathing suit section, and she's more attractive to you, and she has the $500 purse. Now what? Now you feel inferior? Oh, yeah. Now you're worth less standing next to her. Or what else? You feel jealous, envious, you covet her purse and her good looks, meaning you wrongly desire what she has and you're mad at her for having it and you don't. You don't even know her and you're hating on her. What is that? That's rooted in pride and greed. That's what that is. Or how about this? You're the man. You're broke. You walk through the mall and you notice everyone's designer clothes and shoes and you feel inferior. You feel jealous. You start to covet what everyone else has. You look at their jewelry. You look at their earrings. You look at, at the shirts they have and the name brands on their pants and socks. Like, I know how much those socks cost. And some of you are very quiet because I'm talking to you. Huh? Now, how about this one? This happened to me the other day. Let's get personal. I'm working in Wexford. Wexford's a seven, eight-figure sometimes culture. And I'm at this expensive restaurant, and I'm working in their restaurant, and they opened while we were still in there. So they started serving lunch. And wealthy business people just loaded this place up. Okay, and so I begin to unload all my stuff out of the building and into my work van, and I notice all of the cars in the parking lot. 
Audis, BMWs, Cadillacs, Mercedes, Lexus. And you know what I was tempted to do in that moment? Say what we always say. It must be nice. Right? Oh, it must be nice to drive a Mercedes and be able to eat here and hang out on lunch for an hour. And what are we doing in that moment? We're coveting. We're jealous. And it's rooted in greed and pride. And so you could be broke and be just as greedy as the six, seven-figure guy. Like, being greedy doesn't mean you have a lot of money. You could be as broke as ever and be the most greedy person on the planet. Mine. <laughs> That's what greed says, mine. And it grabs and it, it hoards. C.S. Lewis helps us. He, this is greed being rooted in pride. Listen to this, guys. This is brilliant. Each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. Lewis says that pride in its essence is essentially competitive. That's a brilliant insight. Watch how it works. It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed at someone else being the big noise at the party. He says, two of a trade never agree. You get two guys with the same trade and they're both bosses in the same room and all of a sudden, I know how to do it better than you and I know how to do it better than you and all of a sudden we're fighting. And all the workers are sitting back like, whoa. Two of a trade never agree. It's rooted in pride and competition. Now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man or woman. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Because everyone would be equal. It is the comparison that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest. Whew. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And often our greed is rooted in pride. We want so that we can be competitive because we think that the more we have and the better we have makes us more valuable and better than other people. You, you felt it. You know what I'm talking about experientially. Either in the, you feel proud because you have the better, or you feel inferior because you don't have the better. You know what I'm talking about. And Jesus wants to free us from this hell. Let's just call it what it is. It's from hell. It's not from heaven. Jesus was the most humble man who ever lived. And listen, we as Christians are being transformed into his image. Praise God. Jesus, in our message here in our text, he says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. A treasure is something that you hold highly valuable to yourself. Do not store up treasures on this present earth. I value this more than anything else. It can rise to the highest level of value for you. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is talking about the temporariness of having treasures on this earth. You know that the car eventually starts to rust. 
either on the outside or on the inside door panels. Or the upholstery gets ripped. Or the bolts start breaking loose. Or the chain gets stolen off you. Or you dropped it while you were running. Or the shoes wear out. Or the video game console gets old because the new one came out twice over. Your iPhone is now three behind and it's garbage. Meanwhile, when you first got it, it was, this was it. Okay? When we have treasures on earth, Jesus is saying, you will be disappointed, very disappointed. And you will be constantly in the cycle of, I need another treasure. I need a bigger, I need a badder treasure. I need a better working treasure. Because the treasure never delivers on its promise, does it? Because you always need a new. Instead, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, that's, that's the issue. Your heart is the core of your being, the essence of you. All things flow from your heart. And your heart is going to go after where your treasure is. In other words, what are you going to think about constantly? What are you going to spend your time on? Where are your thoughts going to run to? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And see, for Christians, our treasure should be God because He is not only logically the most valuable thing, if you will, in the universe, but from Him flows all other things. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He owns all things. He is the most glorious the most attractive person you can think of, God made them. The most beautiful sunset you've ever seen, God made it. The awe you feel standing on the edge of a cliff or a mountain, or you watch those videos, those guys that wear the GoPros, and then they, they look down as they're mountain climbing, and you're just watching a screen, and your stomach drops to you. That's saying something about God. He's the treasure, and yet we run after these smaller treasures and our hearts go, go right where our treasure is. And see, Jesus wants our hearts to go after him. Our, Jesus wants our hearts to go after him. Rebecca DeYoung wrote a fantastic little book called Glittering Vices. Glittering Vices. And she says this, The greedy person's attachment to wealth can wear many faces. Let's see if you find yourself here. An overflowing shopping cart or a single purchase. A stock portfolio that is aggressive or conservative. A wallet full of credit cards or a safety deposit box with a few carefully guarded treasures. A garage full of expensive cars or a closet jammed full of great deals. I got this for five bucks. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It can affect the young, the old, and everyone in between in all of its various expressions. However, greed is a perverted love. Its profile has disordered desire written all over it. Perverted love, disordered desire. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, greed can be rooted in your treasure. It can be rooted in your treasure Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. 
We think of great gain as buying Apple stock for like 100 bucks, and then the next day it jumps to 150. And we bought 1,000 shares. Great gain. Paul says, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Yet we're like, Apple stock jumping 50 bucks a stock and I got 1,000? You kidding me? That's great gain. See, do you believe Paul? Or do you believe in the legacy of Steve Jobs? Let's just be real. Let's bring it down to 2017. What would you say is greater gain? I'm living godly. That means I'm godlike. I do what God does by the power of the Spirit, not by my own strength. And I'm content. You know what content means? It means you're satisfied. It means you can walk through the mall and not get jealous at all. Walk through the mall and not get jealous at all. And you say, impossible. Okay? You have a greed problem. Or, or you get the Ikea catalog. And the Ikea catalog is pretty sweet, right? I mean, even just graphic designer-wise, I mean, it's, it's a great catalog. I like it. I like looking at it just for the color. And then all of a sudden, wait, 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 all of a sudden, your home is trash, isn't it? Like the new dishwasher you just got? Terrible dishwasher. You, know, you look at those nice granite countertops and you're like, my countertops are for mica. And they're old and out of date. They're from 2015. Or you, or you look at the new sink with the new handles and you're like, oh. And then you look at your sink and you're like, oh. You know what I'm talking about. It's called greed. It's called discontentment. It's called you're not satisfied. And for some of us, listen, so, so let's get personal. What about you, Chris? We know you're greedy. You're right. You know what I do when the CBD Christian book catalog comes? I throw it away. I don't even look at it. Because I know that when I look at it, I'm going to go down and look at my library of 150 to 400 books I haven't even read yet and be like, my library's terrible. I need all of Spurgeon's books, not just 50 of them. I could get the whole Spurgeon library right here, and then it would sit on my shelf, and I'd feel guilty because I got no time to read it. But I'd have it. I could bring you down to the basement and be like, come here, you got to see this. <laughs> and it would glow a little bit, right? I'd, I'd attach like a little light to it, the little LEDs, and I'd hit a button and be like, <laughs> So what do I do? I get the catalog in, and I'm like, nope, no opportunity for the flesh there, and I just throw it away. I don't even look at it. Yeah, that's a real thing. It's <laughs> a real thing. Okay, Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Some of us need to memorize that and repeat it to ourselves. What is great gain? Godliness plus contentment. Why? What does he say? For we brought nothing into the world. You came in naked, crying, gasping for air. And we can take nothing out of the world. That points to what Jesus said here, doesn't it? Because if your treasure's here and you're not here anymore, you just lost your treasure. But listen, if your treasure is up ahead of you in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in and seal, you die and what does Paul say? Great gain. Gain. Though I lost everything on earth, I gained because 
God is your ultimate treasure. And then secondly, your reward is waiting for you. Gain. But for most of us, we couldn't stand the thought of losing our stuff. Because, well, it's our treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul continues, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And I don't think any of us in here could say that. Myself included. Food and clothing? You mean not even a home? Like no hot water, Paul? No dishwashers? No car? Not like 50 outfits to choose from? Not 17 shoes to choose from? Just food and clothing? Like he probably means like two or three articles of clothing, not like your expanding closet. For some of you, Plato's closet. That's what your closet looks like. I'm just playing with you. Relax. Okay? Relax. Paul continues. But those who... Listen to this, please. Some of you are going to hear this and you're just going to not believe it. But those who desire to be rich... I dare not take a survey and say, who of you desires to be rich? Why do I dare not take that survey? Because of what Paul's about to say next. But those who desire to get rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Like, what's wrong with wanting to be rich? Paul says, desires that plunge many into ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction. Yet, for many of us, we watch, remember old MTV Cribs? Or, or, or Million Dollar Rooms? And we're like, man, I'd really like to be rich. Not knowing, Paul said, that will plunge you into destruction and great ruin. And you're like, no, it won't. My Million Dollar Room will make me happy. And see, the battle is, you believe what the world tells you. And the world's telling you, if you had bigger, badder, better, and newer, you'd be happier. And Paul's saying, no, it's the opposite. And we struggle to believe what the Bible clearly says. He says, you will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that then plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he talks about the worst. This echoes Jesus' parable of the seeds. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That verse is the most tortured verse in all of the Bible, probably. Other than the one that says God helps those who help themselves. Second not in there, 217. Okay? But this one gets butchered too. Listen what it says. For the love, the love of money is a root, just one, root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say the love of money is the root of all evil. But you thought that's what it said, didn't you? No. It says, if you love money, that is a root of all kinds of evil. Money's not the problem. Oh my goodness. What is? The love of it. You see, some of the most wealthy people on the planet 
are being used by God tremendously. And you know what? Those people do not love their money. They have it. They know it's God's. And they say, for your glory and for your kingdom's expansion, because my treasure is not here. I know I'm going to lose all this. Yet I can send it ahead. Eternal investment that will never spoil or get stolen or rust or rot. It will be there, eternally kept secure by God himself. And so for those of us who have money, and and all of us should have our hands up, we can use our money for the expansion of God's kingdom and for the accumulation of treasure for ourselves. Because listen, there's a command in this verse, and it says, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. You're commanded by Jesus to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, just not here. Jesus is commanding you to do good things on this earth with your wealth and with your time and with your talents so that you can have eternal treasure and reward. It's a command. I like that command personally because I'm one of those weirdos who love the book of Ecclesiastes. I love it. Someday I'm going to preach through it. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you get super depressed, you have a treasure on earth problem. I'm serious. But if your treasure is in heaven, you can read the book of Ecclesiastes and be like, I've been thinking that for years, and you can rejoice. Get yourself an I Heart Ecclesiastes t-shirt, because it speaks truth. But for most of us, we read Ecclesiastes and we're just depressed. We're like, I don't even want to go to work because I can't buy those new J's. That's not what Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes. He's just saying, if your treasure is here on earth, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Under the sun means everything on this earth minus God. And everything under the sun, all of it minus God, is vanity chasing the wind. I love that metaphor. Imagine yourself chasing wind. You're like, I got it. No, I don't. I got it. No, I don't. All your efforts on earth minus God are that. I got it. No, I don't. It just, it it escaped your grasp again. It's like trying to grab water coming out of the faucet. I got it. No, I don't. I got it. No, I don't. Chasing the wind. It's a brilliant metaphor for your life without God. Chasing the wind. I hope that you guys in this group could not wear that t-shirt. I live for chasing the wind. I pray it not be said about us. So how hard is it for you to give away your money? Is it like a funeral? Is it so grievous to you to release even a dollar? Listen, that's a real thing for some people. Some of you are laughing because that's not your deal, but for some people to release any money from their possession is grievous and you're greedy, just so you know. You have a greed problem. And Jesus is talking to you. He's trying to help you. He's not, he is rebuking you, but he's helping you. Is your generosity... So let's ask this. You're like, no, I could give a dollar away. It's not too hard. Okay. Is your generosity sacrificial? What does that mean? That means it hurts you. That means that, you know, for some people, they can't buy what they want because they're giving that money away. Is that you? 
Is your giving sacrificial to the point where if we totaled up your end-of-the-year generosity, not just to Eternal City Church, but in general, like helping people, and if we totaled it up, would it, would it cost you a Wendy's meal? Or would it be a used car? And for some people, uh, the used car isn't even sacrificial because they have so much money they could buy a used car and it wouldn't hurt them at all. See, everybody's different, and it's not about the amount. It's about, are you sacrificial in your giving? And listen, you're giving to God who owns it anyway. When you say mine, it's because you have a wrong understanding of whose it is anyway. It's not yours. Mine should not be a Christian word. It's not yours. God gives it to you as a gift and a stewardship to say, what will you do with it? Will you be generous? Will you hoard? Will you be greedy? Will you spend it all on yourself? And some of you are like, man, I, I buy people Christmas presents. I'm not greedy. <laughs> you might be. You might be. Hey, I'm, I'm kind of like casting it out. If it lands on you, it lands on you. Okay, I'm not aiming at anyone in here. Do you mourn every time you give something away? I remember one time I was challenged, take your most favorite piece of clothing and give it away. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> and I remember doing it. I had just got this fantastic hoodie, and I was like a hoodie guy, and, and someone challenged me to do it, and I was like, I don't want to give this hoodie away. And I gave it away, and it was terrible. <laughs> but you know what? It was good for me to do that, to part from something that I loved and that was valuable to me. It was good to give that away. It's a good exercise. And some of you were like, please don't make me give away my favorite piece of clothing. Please don't ask me to do that. Please. Doug Logan said this. Listen, is this you? Doug Logan said this. This is really helpful. He says, do you get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can? Is that you? Get all you can. Can all you get and sit on the can. What money? What are you talking about? I'm broke. No, you're sitting on all of it. We can see it sticking out the bottoms of the coffee can. That's a real thing. Some of you were like, yeah, that's me. You open up your wallet and it sounds like an old non-oiled door hinge. Or for some of you ladies, like your purse zipper is rusted shut. You're like, I can't even. It's metaphoric. I'm joking, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> some of us, though we don't have great possessions, listen, we're actually very greedy in our hearts. We spend large amounts of time on Amazon.com, surfing different stores, websites, imagining what we would be able to buy if we had the money. Listen, that's an evidence of greed. Like longing to purchase. If I only had, you ever play that game, you, you drive past the car lot and you're like, oh, if I only had the money, I would get that one or that one. Or you go to the jewelry store and you just look and you're like, oh, oh, if I only had the money. And, and, and your imaginary shopping could be an evidence of your greed. It could be. It's, it's a good way to do a diagnostic. 
when I was young, I would, I would get the Sunday paper in, and I would go right to like the electronic stores, like the Best Buys. And remember Circuit City? Remember that? And, and I would sit at the, at the table with a Sharpie marker or a pen, and I would circle all the stuff I wanted. I'd be like, ooh, yeah, ooh. And, and I would just imagine myself being able to purchase all these things. And I would get this imaginary satisfaction about imagining buying these things. For some of us, it's just going into Sam's Club for coffee. We're like, I'm going in for coffee, that's it. And then you wheel past that new 70-inch TV, and you're like, oh my gosh. Or, or you browse past the clothes section, and the new Under Armour or Nike stuff's out, and you're like, oh. Or, or you drive past the little Bluetooth speaker section, and you're like, oh, the Bose one is only $100. And what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm just imaginary shopping. No, you're not. You're expressing your greed. Because you're imagining that if I just had this, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be fulfilled. And they're all lying to you. Every TV, every Bose speaker, every article of clothing, every shoe is saying, buy me, you'll be happy. And then you get it and they're like, ha, ha, ha. Ha. And you know what I'm talking about because you're not happy when you get it home and you try it on. Most of you feel guilty. You're like, I should take this back. This was too expensive. Right? Yeah. Jesus says in Luke 12, I'm taking a very heavy subject that hits all of you and I'm trying to make it as light as possible. Okay? Luke 12, 31, 21, the parable of the rich man, you know it well. I'll just reference it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, talking to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How many families break up over getting their mother and father's stuff? Turns into feuds and wars and it's all a greed fest. It's what it is. It's the sin of greed. And Jesus says this, verse 14, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard. Guard. Watch out. Be on your guard against all covetousness. That is one of the Ten Commandments. For one's life, listen, some of you are not going to believe this. This is Jesus speaking. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not about your possessions and what you have. There's more to life than stuff and buying more stuff and more stuff. There's much more to life than that, Jesus says. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. Okay, so this is a wealthy person that is now getting wealthier, plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Like, what should I do? I have so much, I don't even know where to put it. That's a, that's a good problem to have, we would say. All of us wish we were that rich man. Man, if I just had so much, I didn't know where to put it. What would I do? Well, let's see what this guy does. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. I know, I'll just build bigger places to put my stuff. And I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, now he's going to coach himself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Now you can finally chill. Now you can finally relax. Now you can finally eat. Now you can finally be happy. 
Isn't that what we tell ourselves? Man, someday I'll be able to have, and then I can relax, I can eat, I can be merry, and then I'll finally be happy. And Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I've told you the story that my uncle told me, a man who was waiting for retirement. Just, I can't wait, counting down the days. And he was on his picnic table waiting for the mailman to show up with his first social security check. The mailman found him dead on the picnic table with his check. I can't help but think about Jesus' parable here. Your soul will be required of you today. And then who's going to get all your stuff? Who's going to get all you worked for? Listen, friends, all of the libraries and museums in Pittsburgh, those are dead men's wealth. They're not enjoying it anymore. And for most of them, they were not rich towards God. And their only legacy lives on in the front of museums and on the names of buildings. But we have the opportunity to be generous and to fuel the work of God and in so doing lay up treasure in heaven that will last forever. Right? That's what he said, rich towards God. We want to be rich towards God, not rich towards ourselves in this earth. Jesus said this in 622 and 23. This is a, a, a weird kind of parable, but listen, it's connected to money. Some of us never knew this was connected to money. We've heard it ripped out of context. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And we're like, that has nothing to do with money. But then he goes right on to talk about money. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's no way he's going to talk about money, jump to talking about something else, and then jump to talking about money again. He's talking about money in 22 and 23. And then we have to ask the question, what does that have to do with money? Right? So let's think about it. The eye is the lamp of the body. That means light comes in through your eye and it gives your body the ability to see what's going on and to move about. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, you can see where you're going, you can go about your day, your eye is healthy. But contrast, if your eye is bad, if you're blind, just close your eyes, you can figure out what that feels like and looks like. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. No light comes in. What's going to happen? If then the light in you, this is, this is it. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What in the world is he saying? He's saying there, listen, if you don't think you're greedy and you actually are super greedy, that's great darkness. If he's saying to you, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, and you're like, I don't, yet you are, that is great darkness. You just can't see it. You're blind to your greed and to your hoarding and to your storing up treasures. And he says, if you think you're okay, full of light, and yet that light is darkness, that is great darkness. You're in big trouble. It's a wake-up call. 
He's saying, don't say to yourself, I'm not greedy. And you actually are. Because if you're that person, then Jesus is saying, how great is that darkness? Like you're blind to your blindness. And that's great darkness, he's saying. That's how it's connected. So we shouldn't fool ourselves and say, I'm not greedy. When you actually are. And so deceive yourself. And the, the light you think you have, I'm not greedy, actually is darkness. And Jesus says, that is great darkness. Greed has a massive blinding power. Listen, because you don't think you're greedy. Why? Because you can look at a lot of other people with way more than you. Like you can go on Facebook at any time and see the places people are eating and see what they have and see where they went shopping. And Megan and I were just walking out of uh, a, a Starbucks the other day and a woman was taking a picture of her like latte or something. And we know what she was doing. Because you do it. She was putting her latte on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Right? And then that shows up on your feed and you're like, wish I had the money to buy a latte. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's greed. And if you think you're not greedy because you don't have the money to buy a latte, that is great darkness. It's all about the heart. It's not about being able to buy something or not. What is your heart doing? Listen, Broke people are some of the most greedy people on the planet. And we could say the same for rich people too, right? But I know for most of us, we're like, listen, I got HGTV. I'm not greedy. Because you can watch people spend $500,000 on a second and third home. And you're like, I can't even afford my mortgage. I'm not greedy. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, wait, wait. If that makes you jealous and you covet and that makes you not content, maybe the light you think you have is actually darkness. And if that's the case, how great is that darkness? Do you see how dangerous this is? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus said, your life doesn't consist in the amount of possessions you have. Yet, when I say it, you're like, I don't believe it. Or you're fighting to believe it. And it's because of the air we breathe. It's because of the air we breathe. Rebecca DeYoung continues. She says, imagine that others had access to all our financial records. Uh Uh-oh. And spending habits, investment portfolios, savings, checkbook registries, tax returns, cash flow, but knew nothing else about us. All we were able to do was look at your financial world. But we didn't know you at all. We just knew your name, and we knew your spending habits, and we could look at everything financial about you. What's that going to say? Well, she goes on. What sort of judgments could they make about our character, our loves, our excesses, and deficiencies? Greed is an internal problem, but it does not necessarily stay hidden inside. Patterns of getting and giving can reveal our heart's deepest priorities and attachments. Our patterns of getting and giving can reveal our heart's deepest priorities and attachments. I'm attached. Greed being rooted in security and we're done, okay? DeYoung continues, loving money is the root 
of evil when having money becomes the goal. Now listen close. Listen close. Loving money is the root of evil. Remember, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So she says, loving money is the root of evil when having money itself becomes the goal. Thomas Aquinas argues that human beings are tempted to seek material wealth because it gives us the illusion of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. And therefore serves as a powerful incentive to deny our need for God. God, I don't need you. I got this. She continues... Who among us would want to give up the power to make ourselves comfortable and secure in this world? The possession of money represents this self-sufficiency and the power to secure it. And is a convenient and much less demanding replacement for God. A convenient and much less demanding replacement for God. In other words, for some of us, it's not that our identity is wrapped up in what we have or don't have. It's that I want security and my bank account gives me security. In other words, God doesn't give you any security. Tell me that's not an American danger. Like, we frantically go online and look at our online banking. We go onto our investment um, vanguards and our mutual fund sites and we're like, oh, I'm okay. Meanwhile, what is... The writer of Hebrews say in verse in chapter 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he says, this is God, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He contrasts loving money with being fearful. That means security. If I have money, I'm less afraid. How many of you know what it's like to start to worry about what if? Oh my goodness, what if? I won't be able to get to work and I won't be able to go here and here and, and my life's going to fall apart and all of a sudden fear and, and, and if you just had the money, then you wouldn't have that fear. But God is saying, the Lord is my helper. So, so okay, let's, let's do this then. What if it read like this? The debit card is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or worse, my credit card is my helper. I will not fear. Praise the Lord, Visa. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or my savings account is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? My mutual fund investment portfolio is my helper. What can man do to me? My life insurance Policy is my helper. What can man do to me? And on and on we could go, couldn't we? But see, what we're talking about is security in stuff and self-sufficiency versus security in God. So what, are you saying it's wrong to have a savings account? No, I'm saying that's right. I think the Proverbs would make very clear that you should be wise and save for the future. But listen, if your weight is on that and your weight is not on God, that's a problem. If your weight is on, man, I got about... $2,000 left on this card and all your security weight goes to that $2,000 for credit and then all of it comes off of God, that's a problem. 
So is having a bank account wrong? Is having a savings account wrong? Is having an investment strategy wrong? Is having an investment portfolio wrong? No, absolutely not. Read the book of Proverbs. However, if your security is in that, that's a problem. And greed can be rooted in your need to be secure and self-sufficient and in control. And that's a problem. How to break the power quickly and we're done. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he says, and this is Deuteronomy 13, 6, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know how we can trust that, that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us? It's because Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same Greek word, forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that it could be guaranteed that you never will be. That's your security. Jesus lost everything. Though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that in his poverty we might become rich. Not meaning financially, meaning eternally secure, inheriting the universe with Jesus. Listen, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I never will be. That is fantastic security. If God is for us, who could be against us? Where does our security lie? It lies in what Jesus has done for us. Proving. What lengths will God go to not forsake me? He'll forsake the Son so that you don't have to ever be forsaken. That is great lengths. The Son Himself, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, Hebrews 1, was willing to lose everything. He humbled Himself, taking on the form of a servant. If you will, the infinite, in a sense, became finite to the point of losing everything, even the Father. So that you will not lose everything, yet gain. Listen, guys, every, listen to me, every penny, every dime, every minute, every hour, every talent that you give for the sake of God and His kingdom and His glory is not wasted. It will be eternally rewarded. And everything spent on you greedily will be forever lost. Forever lost. And so we, Jesus is trying to help us here. He's the master investment strategist and He's saying, don't store it up here. Be generous. Give. Take care of yourself. Right? Like if you can't take care of your immediate family, you're worse than an unbeliever, Paul said to Timothy. So it's not about not taking care of our own. It's not about being wise and storing up for the future. It's about you being generous and not greedy. It's about you having your security in God and not in your money. It's about you not finding an identity in your stuff and rather finding your identity in Christ and being united to Him. So some of us have some heart work to do with God, don't we? We need to ask God to smash our pride and our self-sufficiency and our control issues and our greed rooted in all of those things and rather to make us humble like Jesus. And that was His promise to us in Romans 8.29. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's beautiful. And so listen, brothers and sisters, you can work hard in ministry without seeing any fruit 
And often that is ministry. You will work your tail off and see no fruit. In fact, some people get worse. And you have not wasted a dime or a minute. Because it's all going to be rewarded. All of it. You're not wasting your time when you live for God and His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's more, but I think we've said enough. Next week, we're going to talk about anxiety and fear, and it's connected to money. It's interesting that the text on anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount flows right from the text on money and treasure. So we'll talk about that next week. But right now, I want us to think about what Jesus has done for us. I will never leave you or forsake you. How do we know that? Because Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The proof that we will never be forsaken by the Father is that he forsook Jesus for you and for me. That's our security. Jesus paid for our sins of greed and trying to find security in what we could accomplish and controlling our own universe. He took all that on the cross for us. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Homeless. In his last hours, giving up the shirt on his back. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done and ask him for the power to break greed's grip on our hearts. Will you do that with me? With me? Not like you need to do it and I don't. I'm with you on this one. Okay, so let's... let's Take of the Lord's Supper. Eddie, if you could come up. Tyra, you mind coming up, brother? And uh, Eugene, you mind coming up? We're going to have the, uh, the crackers in the middle and two brothers with juice on the sides. And listen, you tonight, if, if you've been described in this message and you're like, yeah, that's me. You, friends, can turn to God in repentance and faith. How do we know that? Because no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Tonight, I would challenge you, if you found yourself in the service of money tonight, it's time to switch masters. Tonight. Like, resolve tonight. I'm no longer going to serve money. Because I can't serve money and God at the same time. I'm going to love God so much that I can't stand worldly wealth in comparison, or I'm going to love money so much that I can't stand that Jesus would even challenge my greed. And I would say, if you find yourself in the second camp, you probably shouldn't take communion tonight. If, if this was all threat tonight, and you don't have any inclination to say, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling, and you want to say in your heart, God, help me, Help me to serve you and not money. Then please take communion and ask God for his help. This is how he shows up, right in the middle of our need. And my prayer is that all of you would want to be in that last verse, serving God and not money. Because money is a horrible master. It promises so much and delivers on none of its promises. God promises so much and all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. Christ.